But if you would uh, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, um, our verse for this evening will be verse 14. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we confess that apart from the work of your spirit, we cannot understand it. We cannot believe it. We cannot behold it. We cannot apply it. So work us, work in us now, Father. Give us fertile soil to receive your word that we might understand it, that we might apply it to our lives for the glory of Christ Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. In our uh, Wednesday night, inductive Bible study. Sometimes we talk about imperatives. Sometimes we talk about indicatives. Indicatives are the things that represent what is true of the Christian life. It's meant to be what is. An imperative is a command. It is what ought to be true of the Christian life. Many imperatives and indicatives in Scripture and there is a relationship between them. Imperatives are built on top of indicatives. And what I mean by that is the indicative makes the imperative possible. That's the relationship. What ought to be is made possible by what is. And we see that relationship here in 1 Peter chapter 4, particularly between verse 13 and verse 14. Verse 14 is the indicative. It is the description of the Christian reality, and verse 13 is the imperative, the command that we ought to obey and is made possible by the indicative of verse 14. So let's just read those, first, uh, those two verses together, and then we will jump into it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So what I'm saying is that it would not be possible to rejoice in suffering, commanded in verse 13, apart from the Christian reality of verse 14, namely that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you in your moment of suffering. So this is a, a clear and present help in the moment when you need it. That's what Peter's talking about here. When the suffering comes, the spirit of glory and of God comes with it and rests upon you in power. This is a present Hope. It's not a future hope, but it's a present gift that the Lord gives us that we might endure. And we see this dynamic in Scripture when Jesus spoke about suffering for his namesake in Mark 13, 11, when he said to his disciples, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say what is, whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So that means when you don't know what to say to your Christian persecutor, no problem. God will show you exactly what to say. 
when you don't know what to say to the nurses and doctors who care for you during sickness, you want to say something to them regarding the gospel and your faith for the reason for the hope that is in you, no worries, God will give it to you. He takes over and gives you exactly what you need when you need it, and that is really our main point for our verse, uh, verse 14 tonight. He takes over and gives you exactly what you need when you need it. Now, before we jump into it, I want to take a, a short parenthesis and talk for a minute um, about the circumstances in which the promise of verse 14 is true. In context, it's very plain that it applies to Christian persecution. We see this not only in verse 14 and the surrounding verses, but it is a major theme of the entire book of of 1 Peter. These Christians are suffering for Christ's sake, for his name's sake. This is clear. The nearest example in context is just a few verses earlier. If you, if you still have your Bibles open, go down to verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4. Look there for just a moment in verse 3. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. They malign you. They insult you. And this is certainly in Peter's mind when he penned verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is what Peter is thinking about. They're going to mock you for missing out on the party because of your allegiance to Jesus. That's specifically what's in context here. But that's Christian suffering. What about other forms of suffering? When do they apply, especially sickness? Sickness and death. Do these promises apply when I'm sick and dying? I think the answer is yes. I think they do. It, this promise does apply. And, and let me explain why. If you're dying from cancer, you will be tempted in the moment to resent God. You will be tempted to blame God. You will be tempted to accuse God of not loving you for allowing pain in your life. And in your worst moment, Satan is going to come to you and he's going to whisper in your ear, where is your God now, Christian? And when that happens, you'll have a decision to make. Will you glorify Christ or will you bring contempt to him? Will you rejoice in your suffering as commanded in verse 13 or will you resent in your suffering? So what I'm saying here is whether it's Christian persecution or whether you're dying from cancer, the predicament is the same. You will arrive at a place where your faith is under threat and the same question remains. Will you glorify Christ in your suffering or will you fail the test? So whether you're suffering because of your allegiance to Christ or because you're dying from cancer, Peter is saying in that moment, God will show up and he will give you exactly what you need when you need it. So that's kind of the end of the parentheses. I, I wanted to talk for a moment about when, when does this apply. It's very important for moving through 
uh, the next element of, of what we want to talk about it, and that is what does it look like? When the Holy Spirit arrives in power and rests upon you, what is the Holy Spirit going to do that's going to help me get through the suffering in a way that glorifies Jesus? That's the question. So first, he will bring the word of truth. He will bring the word of truth to you. When the Holy Spirit comes to rest upon you, he will cause you to remember the scriptures that you need in that moment of an hour of your suffering. In the Gospel of John, Jesus promises to send a helper, a comforter. He refers to as the spirit of truth. And the spirit of truth's primary function is to give you the word of truth. And you're going to need it. Because in that moment, there's going to be a clash when you suffer. Satan is going to seek to confuse and obscure the truth because he's a liar. That's what he does. That's what he's been doing from the beginning. That's his specialty. He's been doing it since the fall. And he will twist the word in order to make God seem distant and uncaring, weak, disconnected from your situation. And the Holy Spirit will lead you in truth in that moment so that you might suffer faithfully. When you, need, when you need it most, the Holy Spirit will bring you the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the ancient Word of Scripture. Not a new word, but an old word. The Holy Spirit isn't going to speak new revelation to you. There will be no new revelations, but He is going to bring an ancient word to you. He's going to speak something old, his word, because he knows that's all that you need, that it is absolutely sufficient for all things in the context of your suffering. And this is a big part of why we read our Bibles now, you know, that we might be as prepared as we possibly can be for when the moment of suffering comes, which Peter refers to as a fiery trial. We want to be ready for that trial. So we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit by denying him the opportunity to impart Christ-exalting truths to our heart by not reading our Bibles. If you're not reading your Bibles, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. If that's you, stop doing that. The Holy Spirit's work in your life is miraculous. It's happening even now. It's standing me up. You're hearing it. This is a miracle of, of the Holy Spirit, but we tend to trivialize it. It's like the wind that blows, you don't see it, but you know it's at work. You know it's at work. Without the Holy Spirit, we'd be nothing. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit, there would be no conversion, there would be no resurrection, there would be no victory, no tri truth, no, no life, no wisdom, no hope. But that's, that's not who you are. And he wants you to be ready for the moment of suffering, for that clash with Satan and the war of words that he is going to bring. But your degree of readiness is up to you. I want to be careful here. Regardless of your readiness, the Holy Spirit doesn't need you. He doesn't need your help in his work. I'm just saying that if we practice with the sword of the Spirit now, then we'll be better at using it when the time comes. That's it. So be ready. The fact is we won't always succeed. 
Sometimes we are going to fail the test. But if we read our Bibles, the more we read our Bibles, the more we believe in its promises, the more we obey its commands and apply the truth to our lives, the more ready we'll be when the hour of suffering and testing comes. Second, the Holy Spirit will free you to glorify Christ. The Holy Spirit will free you to glorify Christ. Now, this is why I believe that Peter refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of glory in verse 14. And again, so whether you're dying from cancer or suffering from Christian persecution, the glory of Christ in your suffering is at stake. It's his awesomeness, his weightiness, his beauty, his majesty, his glory in you is on the line. And in that moment, you will either make much of Christ or you will continue to make much of yourself. Right? We're, we're very good at making much of ourselves when we suffer. It's a strong temptation. This is our natural disposition. We never mind that God has brought us a set of circumstances, even though we don't like them. We never mind that. All we, all we sense and know is, is the pain, and so we resist it with all the resolve that we can muster. Of course, that's vanity. It is futile, but it's what we do. But back in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24, Peter reminds us that all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. I love that verse. How fleeting is the flower of grass. It's such a fleeting thing. And so when the spirit of glory comes, he brings this conviction about the fleeting glory of man and the foolishness of dying on that hill. And he makes us to see that the personal glory that we're losing in the moment isn't worth keeping. It's not worth holding on to because Christ's glory is infinitely better. Believing in these things about Jesus in those moments is what motivates us to turn from the vanity of self-glory in order to exalt Christ for his glory. Third, the Holy Spirit will free you to entrust yourself to God. The Holy Spirit will free you to entrust yourself to God. So it's not that we give up or we give in to our suffering, but we entrust ourselves over to God in the circumstances that he has brought to us in the moment. When we entrust ourselves to God, we're giving ourselves to him so that he himself may guard us through it. And it is a very different idea than trust, right? When I trust, I have confidence in God and his promises, but to entrust myself to him is to place myself in his care, which means giving myself over to his circumstances and purposes, no matter how difficult they may seem, no matter how painful it may feel in the moment. So it's a place of acceptance. It's born out of trust. It is born out of trust, but it's realizing that God calls me to suffer but Jesus suffered first, right? Leaving me an example that I might follow in his steps. 
So when you entrust yourself to him, when you accept your call to suffer, then you are truly entrusting yourself to the Lord. So when the, when the spirit of glory of, of God rests upon you in your suffering, you're free to entrust yourself to him, to him. And he will bring you out on the other side in a way that glorifies Christ. This goes back to what I was saying. Again, the, the indicative makes the imperative possible. We have the imperative in 1 Peter 4.19 uh, made possible by the Holy Spirit in that those who suffer entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Fourth and finally, the Holy Spirit will free us to rejoice in our suffering. The Holy Spirit will free us to rejoice in our suffering. So with this command to rejoice in our suffering out of verse 13, kind of come back to where we started again with the imperative made possible by the indicative. You can and should rejoice when you suffer because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, I think that if we're being honest, we can admit that this command can sound unfair, especially to unbelieving heirs. This is probably one of the reasons why unbelievers, when they see this kind of talk in the Bible, they point the finger at God in an accusatory way. Rejoice in suffering? Who does that? How is that even possible? It might seem impossible. It does at least sound unreasonable because it goes against the natural state. We know this. It's in our DNA. Suffering is not natural. Death is not natural. We hear that it is sometimes. We hear people say that death is part of life. We hear this at funerals. It's, it's comfort talk. Death is part of life. But I'm saying, no, it's not. It's not part of life. It's not normal. It's quite the opposite. Death and suffering is the antithesis of life. It is a direct result of our sinful rebellion on, to God. So I don't think we should accept it. And it's totally unnatural to rejoice in suffering. It is alien, and I think it should be. We weren't designed to suffer, but we brought that on ourselves because of our sin. And so God says, expect to suffer for Christ's sake, Christian. And not only that, rejoice in it when it comes. And that doesn't mean we smile our way through suffering like some sort of masochist and it doesn't mean that the pain goes away the holy spirit resting upon you his job is not to make the pain go away so when it does come rather when he comes in the midst of suffering we rejoice in it in a way that a person would rejoice here in the hidden person of the heart. And the world sees that, right? The world sees that and they're attracted to it. They're not seeing, you know, a masochist smiling through pain. That's not what they're attracted to. The world is attracted to the hopeful Christian who suffers in a different way that they're not used to seeing. But what is it that they're attracted to? 
Well, they're attracted to the reason you rejoice, that God has counted you worthy to share in the sufferings of Christ. That's verse 13. And that is clear evidence that you will also rejoice when his glory is revealed. So that's what Peter's saying here, that in your hour of suffering, the Holy Spirit will come and you will rejoice because you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ and that is evidence that eternal life belongs to you and you rejoice in that, in that moment. It's eschatological motivation. Peter is saying that in your hour of suffering, the, the Holy Spirit will rest upon you in power that you may believe this, that you may have the experience of the triune reality of 2 Corinthians 13, 14, that the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with us all. That's how Pastor Paul ends every worship service. It's how we end and close our church covenant, and it's for a reason, that when you have this sort of benediction, the triune trifecta of power, when you have that benediction in the midst of your suffering, then the impossible becomes a reality, and you might truly know what it's like to rejoice in your suffering. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray that we would be faithful to be ready, that suffering would not come upon us as a surprise, as something strange were happening to us, but that we would be ready, that we would be found ready and faithful. We pray that you would pour out the Holy Spirit upon us in power, that you would take over and give us the things that we need when we need them for the glory of Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.